Good day and welcome to the Outer Twilight Podcast. I'm Andrew and I'm joined as always by Mike. How are you tonight, Mike? I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. And I wanted to start tonight, uh, maybe in our starter podcast in a little bit of a different way. I'm going to share a poem with you. Um, and, and so I'll read the verses to you. In a forest glade so peaceful and still, a pair of badgers roam at will. Their coats a lustrous shade of brown, their paws so delicate as they move around. With a gentle nuzzle and a playful leap, they express their love in ways so sweet. In the moonlight, they dance and play, a sight so lovely it takes your breath away. Their eyes are so bright, so full of mirth, they curl up together as if on earth the world outside seems to fade away as they share their love in the most gentle way. Oh, what a joy to watch these two in a world so pure, so honest, so true. Their love so strong, it fills the air, and we can't help but stop and stare. In this world of chaos and strife, the badger's love is a beacon of light. A reminder that love is all we need to find happiness and live with ease. So let us all learn from these two and love with all our hearts so true. For in the end, it's love that will win and our hearts will forever sing. <laughs> I have to laugh because it goes good for six verses and then doesn't rhyme at the end. But um, so what you just heard was a poem written by Chat GPT. Uh, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight is artificial intelligence and what we've been seeing and where it's going. This isn't, you know, not Mike and I speaking as experts on AI, but more having a philosophical discussion about, you know, the, the benefits, the limitations, um, where we see its usefulness and those kinds of things. Um, and uh, so what I did to what I did to generate that response was I typed in write a romantic poem about badgers and it came out with six verses that were okay maybe a little repetitive but certainly I would say probably better than most elementary kids could write um but uh yeah so what what are some of your initial thoughts on the whole chat gpt and and ai art and all that stuff mike well i know that in like just even in the last couple of weeks, been seeing a lot of the the art coming out and yes. people making videos of it. Like you sent me the one video of uh, somebody had used this AI to create uh, images of what like superheroes would look like if they were from the Victorian age. You know, yes. it creates these these pictures and stuff like that. And and then you know, I started hearing a lot more um online and yeah mostly online i guess i'm not really on <laughs> any mainstream stuff but that different uses for it and kept mm -hmm. hearing the term and you know kind of intrigued by it and then i was listening to a podcast last week and they kind of dug into it a little bit from the creative aspect and mm -hmm. it really got me thinking because at the same time i had seen an article was it referencing i think something like gizmodo or something like that one of those you know content creators uh websites where they right. were going to start using this chat and i always gpt <laughs> is that the right order gpt yeah that's right okay yeah because yeah, yeah. tgp is the grocery people um <laughs> to generate articles 
you know, and I said, okay, yeah. well, what, what is it? And, you know, so I've been digging into it a little bit, but you know, by no means do I really have a full understanding of it. And, you know, like I even tonight I had to look up what, you know, what the initials actually mean and, uh, and start to get into that. It's, it's interesting. Like, so all that to say that it's interesting because it seems like it's a really big step forward in yes. the type of accessible technology that we're, that we have. Cause like right now, um, like the program that you use is free to use. And, right. um, I know there's a lot of companies that are looking to create their own versions of it. And there's some that are like really specific and some that are, you know, very, you know, wider umbrella. Um, but there'll come a time when there's, there's going to be a cost to it, but it just seems like there's a lot of potential but a lot of question marks. Um, yeah. I mean, I think probably a good thing to do is to kind of talk about what it is and what it isn't. I mean, mm-hmm. I actually think the, the term artificial intelligence, there are certain aspects that that moniker is actually pretty good. And there's aspects where it's not mostly in the intelligence realm, I think um, in the sense that, you know, we we've, grown up with you know since the 50s with science fiction uh movies and you know stories that basically warn us about the dangers of man-made intelligence artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence right um you know you had the the three robot laws from arthur c Clarke, right from uh i robot and then you have you know there's all of these stories that are basically around that we should sort of be afraid of artificial intelligence um, I think though, where the, it works well is that when we're talking artificial intelligence, it's that it's artificial in the sense that it appears quite intelligent, but really it is very bound by the limitations of what it's been programmed to learn. Right. So it doesn't have like, it's not like Skynet where it has the ability to anticipate and learn. It doesn't have emotions. Um, it doesn't have you know, any philosophical thoughts of its own about humanity. Um, usually when you're talking about that concept of artificial intelligence, you're talking about something that has a semblance of free will, right? An ability to learn what it wants to learn, how it wants to learn. Uh, and when we're talking about things like chat GPT or any AI that would do art generation, which is the other kind of prong of where the artificial intelligence community has been really um getting a lot of notoriety um and you mentioned that it's it's really working within the boundaries of with the uh with chat gpt of language so it can look at other poems and imitate those things but it can't it's not really creating necessarily it's aggregating on a massive scale so what i mean is is taking like thousands of examples and looking at how they work and kind of the structure of them and then generating something that is similar to that okay so um i I want to touch on that more because i think that's a really uh important point to get into and i think that's probably what the meat and potatoes of our conversation is going to be and and again to be clear to people this is a conversation for us. Like this isn't something that we spent a whole lot of time talking about or really preparing for, but it's something that's new that I think it's really important to have the conversation. Um, Mm. but 
let's start with what is it like what is our our layman understanding of you know this chat gtp um it's what generated no pt <laughs> gpt generated pre-trained no generative pre-trained what's the last letter uh t, t? um something <laughs> i looked it up and i can't remember now <laughs> So my basic understanding of it is, is that essentially it's um, kind of grew out of this whole idea of like predictive text where, you know, you have this, a program that kind of predicts what comes next based on patterns and stuff like that, that Mm. there's really strong parameters that are placed on it. And you hinted at that, that it's, it's not creating wholesale, but it's, basically saying okay you can go this far and you can go this far and you can use this wealth of um information and pre-existing stuff and we'll train you to recognize what's good within that and where mistakes and errors are going to be to generate what people are looking for and um that's that's my understanding of it well, and, and so what's uh, let's start with kind of the good things, I guess, about Chat GPT and the the art. I think talk, you know, because Chat GPT is specifically linguistic. So if you tell Chat Chat GPT to try and generate a piece of art for you, it's not going to be able to do it because it's not trained to do that. It can look up a picture for you, like you can. It can say, "Show me." A, you can say, "Show me a picture of Robert Downey Jr." It'll show you a picture of Robert Downey Jr. It can do that, but it can't create a picture of Robert Downey Jr. in a specific situation, which is what the art does. ChatGPT, though, one of its most interesting uh, applications is that it can actually write code for people who are in business in a variety of categories. Um, I have a friend who, uh, at least according to his socials, it seems pretty, he seems pretty fond of the fact that he can, you know, he needs a task done. He has the knowledge to know specifically what to ask for and ask for it to generate code to do with, you know, sorting, you know, sorting pictures, for example, or, or things like that. And he can ask it to do that. And rather than taking all the time to write code, that's for something that's sort of minimal, not really something he needs. He, he would, he'd rather not have to write it himself. Right. He can just tell chat, chat GPT what he needs and chat GPT will spit out the code. And you can plug it into whatever he's working with and away it goes, which is pretty awesome, right? I mean, it's kind of taken the heavy lifting out of, um, you know, being a programmer trying to, you know, do other bigger things. And there's all these little mundane sort of tasks that you need it to do. And you can get rid of that and hopefully produce something a little faster with the aid of, of chat GPT. And, but, none of, so, but none of that is what we would call a creative endeavor. That's just it doing the things that needs to be done that makes sense right. and that, that you right. want to so, have happen. And in that sense, we're talking about concrete, I guess, versus abstract, right? Like you're, you, you know, it's pretty able to generate concrete code because code is pretty specific. I mean, depending on the language, it can, you know, have some flexibility and stuff. But if you want it to work right, you you do have to have it generate something that's going to work. Um, and what's kind of cool is chat GPT can actually, it, that's what it's sort of most familiar with, if you will. So it can actually, you know, check itself and make sure that it's actually going to work as well so that you don't have to fumble around with it, trying to figure out what's wrong either. Um, 
you know, whereas with something like poetry or more what we would see as abstract or more creative endeavors, the best it's going to do is be able to kind of imitate. Um, and, and you can even ask it like you, it's what's kind of cool is you could say like, you know, I would like a poem in the, you know, I'd like a poem about a rose similar to what Percy Bysshe Shelley would have written. And it's able to actually look at his style and, you know, interpret that. That's the big key is it's interpreting what it's reading or what it, the input is. And then it will spit out something that it feels is, well, and this is what's so weird. It's like what it feels. It's what its best guess of what a poem about a rose written by Percy Bysshe Shelley would look like. Right. Um, so that's what it's doing. And an interesting thing, like, I think this is where art is a little more interesting in terms of the whole, you know, is it creative or not? Um, I guess it depends whether you're looking at the AI as the creator or the brush where you are asking it to do something for you, which I think makes us feel like when we commission something, you know, of, of another person, that's how we tend to think about it. I think about it more as the AI is equipped to make art that I can't make. Like I could ask it to make a painting and give it the specific inputs and everything. And it would do a much better job than I would ever do. Um, but what's kind of funny and it, it's, it's becoming sort of very meme worthy is that like, there are a few things that AI really sucks at. And, and it's funny because, uh, like linguistically you can have a thing like chat GPT and ask it for language output and it can do that. No problem. But, uh, art generating AI sucks at alphabet and sucks at like actually putting words into paintings. Um, like if the, the one I sent you, there's another one that was, uh, um, had like, uh, words in the background and stuff, but they're all kind of jumbled. They look like a, another language, but it's actually just letters all kind of mashed together. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other thing that AI art is notoriously bad at is fingers <laughs> and like hands, <laughs> like it, it can't draw hands. What's crazy. It can do, it can make actually a pretty, like almost like a photograph that looks real. But if you look at the person's hand, they've got like six fingers and two thumbs. Right. And, uh, so that's kind of funny. Um, what I do think is interesting, though, is that for a lot of people, a lot of artists, it could be a good jumping off point um, where, you know, if you're feeling a bit of, you know, artist's block. So like doing concept drawings for, say, a Marvel movie or something, um, you know, if you needed a vehicle design, you know, you can put in like do like Spider-Man's car and it would show you like however many different versions you wanted a dozen and you may not copy it exactly, but it would certainly spit out some things that are like, oh, you know what? I didn't think of that possibility. Right. And, you know, can give you some suggestions. So. So, OK, so when you created that, when you asked it to create the love poem about the Badgers here on Valentine's Day, when we're recording this, instead of sp <laughs> instead of spending time with their wives, we're uh, <laughs> recording. Yeah, exactly. Recording a, a podcast about computers and um, we're ultra romantics. Yes. Yeah. Uh, actually probably it's the best gift we can give our wives is not being with them. So <laughs> fair enough. But how long did it take for it to give you that poem? Oh, less than 30 seconds. Okay. So I didn't time it, but it was, 
what's kind of interesting is it types it out sort of like you can watch it thinking, I guess. Um, and yeah, but yeah, less than 30 seconds to spit out six verses of decent rhyme, amateur rhyme, I would say. So one of the, one of the ways that I saw, like, you know, and one of the discussions that I heard was, you know, kind of equating, you know, just two sides of the same coin, the, the chat versus the, the art, but like with the art with like independent, um, novels, like self-published novels, creating cover art for their, for their, for their books online type of thing that, you know, much higher quality stuff that they can get, um, which is good for that writer. But it does mm-hmm. bring up um, and suggest where kind of maybe the the negative aspect of this is, you know, people who make their living by creating art, <laughs> you know, the, you know, I was going to say the proper way, but the, the creative way on their own, you know, they could get squeezed out of a lot of, a lot of situations, a lot of, you know, that kind of more the, the commercial workaday kind of art that gets produced like is that a is that a concern like can we tell the difference is or people going to be or business is going to be looking for okay well i can get it really cheap uh or or free um with a computer program and i don't have to commission somebody to do concept drawings or to do uh whatever i mean yes and no i mean i would like to think like i i would say sort of on the optimistic side like I said, what it does is it frees up those professionals who are very good at their jobs to not have to do the mundane stuff would be part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they can then focus and then be, you know, sort of freed to do the more important work of, you know, not just, you know, maybe getting initial concept designs and stuff. So for example, I, I would say like a good use of it would be like, if you're going to pitch a movie, and you're not a concept artist. You're a guy that's, you know, he's written a script and he's trying to pitch a movie. A good thing to do would be, you know, like you could get an AI to generate some images for you based on your script. And then at the pitch meeting, you can actually kind of give a visual idea of what it would look like. Right. Um, but like in terms of businesses with coding and things like that, it takes out, I guess, a lot of the scut work. Right. Like you're not having to, you know, you're not paying people to do the minimalistic stuff. You're paying them to do the more creative side of things. I also don't like, and I guess I would say based on what I know and what I've, you know, seen and and looked at my observations is that I could see one day how it could be considered a threat to jobs and, and to people's artistic talents. Um, but it isn't yet. And I don't think it will be for a long time. Um, the thing of it is, is like, it, it, it can't make, choices so like i asked it for example to so i asked chat gpt i said what is your favorite poem and its response was i don't I, you know i don't have feelings or preferences but here's a chunk of a, a poem from robert frost that lots of people like mm-hmm. right <laughs> and so it's like well that's a very diplomatic answer thank you for that right and and it gives kind of it with it the little chunk of the poetry. It also gave sort of the the high school Cole's notes explanation as to what that little piece meant, right? Um, but it wasn't making a choice there. It 
basically found something, not necessarily at random, but it's what came up in its algorithm and it spit it out. It wasn't actually making choices. There wasn't heart put into it. There wasn't emotions put into it. And if you told chat GPT that the poem that it spit out that you asked it to do was terrible, it wouldn't feel bad. Um, It's not going to have any sense of commitment one way or the other. And I guess that's where I don't really feel like real artists are under threat at the moment because they are putting heart and thought and emotion into it. And there really isn't any possible way to replace that with a computer at the moment. Um, I mean, that said, there are, I mean, that I think one of the confusing aspects is that art, even art created by people, and I'm sure you would agree with this art created by human beings is sometimes head scratching at best. Um, you know, you get a guy that, you know, is paid, you know, a hundred thousand dollars and turns in a blank canvas, um, and says that that's art. Um, and, you know, as human beings, we generally have a strong sense personally as to what is art to me and what isn't art to me. Um, you know, uh, I think some people will look at T.S. Eliot, for example, and go, man, that guy was a genius. He's amazing. Other people look at T.S. Eliot's poetry and go, that he doesn't, what? It, there's no form here. There's no structure. There's no, you know, and, and they're missing, they're missing the point, obviously, but they are also interpreting the art differently and i think i wonder whether we have a tendency to blame artificial intelligence for things that are actually our own limitations okay so let me share it a little bit different example so i brought up the the gizmodo and i'm assuming i i think that's one but like you know they have a lot of content and kind of their bread and butter is to get the content out there and it's a lot of it is not deep thought kind of content and Uh a lot of times it feels like okay this was written by a fifth grader and not a gifted one um (laughs) where you know i i can see like you know this i'm gonna call it a ai because i'm just gonna get get it wrong every time i say it that you know (laughs) this artificial content creator probably could create much better articles because usually what these articles are is you know it's just content for the website that basically says what everybody else is saying um and which is basically what this does you know is you know you know you use the term like it's kind of like an aggregator as far as like learning what's the the middle road for a lot of things and and produces this stuff so that would be a direct threat to people's jobs and so yeah but the question there is um are these people that maybe people just need to see it as a challenge okay i need to write better so that i can at least be better than a than a computer that our program that is just going to basically say what everyone else is saying you know if that's what you're making your living on is just saying what everyone else is saying you know okay well that's certainly that's not art that's just creating content and maybe squeezing that out yeah you could make the argument okay that's bad for the people who are trying to get established but maybe that's good for the overall quality of what's being produced and what's out there uh i don't know right it it, it, there's different ways i suppose and probably depends where 
you're sitting in that continuum. If you're one of the people who's, you know, trying to get established and producing that content and learning kind of on the job as it were, um, or not getting paid, but providing this kind of content yeah. in the hopes of getting paid for it and getting squeezed out by this, um, you know, that could be probably really disheartening. Um, and I think it could be. And like, as I said, I think though that, I mean, we can't predict the future. And I think actually, sadly, that's a lot of where these sites like Gizmodo, Screen Rant's another one, um, Polygon, Kotaku, um, you know, these kind of pop culture websites and stuff. They tend to catastrophize a lot about about the future. Yeah. <laughs> and but but we don't we don't really know where it's gonna go. I mean I don't think the fear is unjustified. I think anybody, you know, I mean, artists like anyone else are concerned about their future in terms of job security and things like that. So I don't think it's unfounded to be concerned about where it's going to go. But AI, at least right now, is far from Mm -hmm. perfect. And I mean, there's even benefits to it in the sense that if you're just a person on your own and you are trying to write a script and you're stuck, like I said, like, I mean, I said the same thing with the paintings, you know, you're stuck and you need ideas. Well, if you're writing a script and you're not sure what to do, you basically, you know, you could put into chat GPT, well, you put in whatever you want. And so you can say, I need a unique action scene where my character gets from this point to this point. And it may not spit out verbatim what you're going to use, but it could actually spit out something that's very workable, like, you know, that you can rewrite and modify. And I think that, I think the main error of a lot of this stuff is when it's being looked at as a replacement, as opposed to a tool that we would use to advance our abilities. Um, You know, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I think some people would argue that Marvel movies, for example, have been written by AI for, you know, who knows how many movies now, because they just seem so formulaically similar. Um, isn't, that, isn't that what She-Hulk said? <laughs> exactly. Well, and I mean, I, I think what bugs me about that is they haven't really disproven that. Um, <laughs> but like where an AI is not going to be able to generate the kind of dialogue, like if you want something that's actually like a serious film with you know important beats of emotion and things like that i mean for one thing a lot of that's in the direction but i mean it's also from a dialogue perspective you need to have someone with a heart that's actually you know knows where the plot is going um because that's the thing too an ai when it's writing something like a poem or a script it doesn't actually know where it's going until it's finished <laughs> so it's not look you know like for a writer you know you you kind of develop the story in your mind or you make notes on it and you have a beginning a middle and an end you know and you're kind of working towards these plot points and ai isn't doing that an ai is kind of just you know taking things as it comes it's looking at all this stuff it's analyzing it and then it's spitting it out and You know, it's cool that it's learning, but I think that while we might question whether what we're looking at is generated by AI or not, I think that ultimately we can tell the difference. Um, I know there's a lot of concern with like academic papers, for example, like plagiarism. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Because they're already now trying to find 
sort of an anti-AI, well, not an AI, it would be another AI that would be able to identify plagiarized papers like that are, well, and they're not really plagiarized. They are rewritten papers because in chat GPT, you could say, you know, write me a term paper on blue whales and it would spit out a term paper on blue whales. And because, you know, especially if it was like a high school paper or even, you know, first or second year university, the grammar isn't necessarily going to be great when a human writes it either. So how do I tell the difference when, I mean, as for people that's put out of jobs, I guess it's put, you know, the guys that would write papers for students for 200 bucks, it's probably putting them out of jobs, but, um, good riddance, you know, and and I've been thinking about that whole concept and, you know, that might actually end up forcing something really good in that teach kids, teach university students how to do research, how to look into stuff. But when it comes to actually writing the paper, make it a sit down, give them three hours. They can have all their research there, but make them actually write out the paper. Right. And then you know that they're not going to be using any kind of AI program to do it. You know, okay, maybe they can, they can use AI to get, you know, their research. Cause well, that's what they're going to do anyway with Dr. Google, but yeah. uh, you know, make them sit down and show that they can construct it in the moment and right. uh, maybe stop having this, you know, which seems almost like busy work of, you know, oh, okay, we, you need a 20 page paper on this and to show the research. Well, no, still have to do the research, but the actual writing, yeah, make them write it, you know, have a, have the witness there, no technology. And, you know, that, that problem is, is solved. Well, and, or even do we rely more on like term tests, right? Like midterms exams and things like that, where rather than midterms being primarily multiple choice with a few short answer that the midterm exam is actually more like three essay questions where you're sitting there writing and the term papers aren't, you know, cause I mean, honestly with papers and stuff, you can, you can rate them differently. You can make them not worth as much. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it really comes into point too to, to point out that it doesn't put a lot of faith in, the future of academia, well, of students. It doesn't put a lot of faith in the hands of students that they won't cheat. That's, I think what concerns me too is sort of the expectations that if it's accessible, then students will cheat. And, but they're also our future. And I mean, you and I both know there, you know, there are a lot of young people who are not the sharpest knives in the drawer. Mm -hmm. But that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about like, in an academic context, um, I would think in, in most fields as well, that once these, you know, people graduate, if they've been cheating the whole time and actually know nothing, it's going to become pretty apparent. Like if you go through like architecture school and basically (laughs) fake your way through the whole thing, you're probably going to get noticed as being incompetent fairly quickly when you're actually hired by a firm and you're working with other people and you're in a job environment and you don't know what you're doing, you know? Well, Um, well, you know, it it occurs to me that maybe, maybe the, the, the side benefit to this and in the academic realm is that like students have been cheating for as long as there's been tests and papers and stuff like that. They've just found different ways to figure out what teachers like, don't like, you know, 
but there it's pretty standard generally speaking you know how the courses go and stuff like that and you know, oh, you're gonna have term papers and stuff like that and then of course we're talking like mostly humanities and stuff like that but um maybe it's now the professors that are going to need to evolve in right. how they evaluate learning and how they um approach well evaluation <laughs> all together right that maybe you know maybe it's the time for papers is done and we need to spend more time on how has this student learned and the different learning styles and that comes with different teaching styles. Like I, I think maybe there is a potential here that it might start pushing academics to, to change and to right. evolve um, because, you know, the technology is now kind of caught up and surpassed their ability to stay ahead of it. Um, and I'm sure, I mean, yes, they'll come with, they'll come up with AI programs that can identify other AI programs and, you know, or you know, even, <laughs> even look at, you know, you start the year by everybody has to write an in-person essay and then whatever other essay they hand in gets compared to the, that. And if the writing style is like hugely different, then it's like, Oh, there's a red flag. Um, well, and, and this is where it gets a little bit tricky in terms of like, you know, looking into the future. I think you're like, you're pointing out, it's important to see things more as there's lots of things we could do. Uh, lots of opportunities here rather than simply looking at it as like, uh, you know, this is going to be bad for, 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 you know, for academia overall, because the reality is, is it'll change. It will change every field in its own way and in mm -hmm. its own, like it'll be organic in every situation too, where it's going to go places we didn't predict. I mean, we haven't even really talked about like the whole, ethics component i mean certainly there is ethics on the part of the students uh in an academic situation or an artist in a situation to basically say yes i used you know a help this way <clears throat> but i mean there's nothing saying that we couldn't you know like arthur c clark with the robotic laws for example which i mentioned earlier those are there because it's limitations that are like basically giving the artificial intelligence a conscience, right? And so then there's nothing that says that we couldn't develop ethics, you know, ethics and morals for an artificial intelligence system that would be able to keep that, those ethics more than we would. So, you know, if somebody was, for example, to type in, you know, I need a paper on this for this, that the AI would go, I'm sorry, I'm not able to generate that for you because that would be cheating. Mm. Um, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying here's how you implement meant it. I'm just saying that it is theoretically possible to say to an artificial intelligence that, you know, these are the uh, guidelines that we would have for use because the tricky part is we don't want to, you know, obviously censorship is a big issue. We want to encourage people to be genuinely creative without robbing them of their, you know, sort of, uh, you know, finger wag at them like, oh, you can't do that or you're not allowed to do that. A way to do that is for the artificial intelligence to have, so to speak, on behalf of whatever institutions to be able to say, my programming prevents me from 
assisting in these kinds of matters, right? I well, can point you to I can point you to p- papers and I can point you to research on this subject, but I will not write the paper for you, right? You know, and I and I and I get what you're saying, and like I agree, but it's like the genie's out of the bottle, and like how many different companies are now trying to replicate this technology and produce their own version of it, and you know, you could get one company with you know that produces uh, one of these AIs. To say, okay, yeah, you know, we're going to have this check and balance. This is going to be one of the, the, you know, the parameters that we set on it. But you know, there's going to be another one that won't, and there'll be yeah. another one that won't, and then somebody, will, people, programmers will see an opportunity to be able to create their own, and it'll just, it'll, it's like, it's like the internet. You know, the internet wasn't controlled at the beginning. You're never going to. <laughs> you're never going to control the content on on the internet in a in a in a realistic way. There's Fair there, there's going to be little things and stuff like that. But okay, so one thing I wanted, to, and I've been we've been circling around this, and oh, there's a couple different ways I want to go in this, but I don't like I don't want to stretch this out forever. But I wonder uh, which way I'm going to go with. So how long before there's going to be a big issue where something that's produced there's going to be a big kerfuffle over, okay, how much did you produce and how much of it was, you know, artificially created and, right. And you're claiming it as your own, you know, which, which dovetails with the other point that I was going to make is, you know, so if you use this and, you know, okay, so looking at copyright, does the company that produced the program, you know, so chat, whatever initials, um, (laughs) you know, do they own part of your, what you created, if their program was responsible for part of your creation, do you need to credit them? And can they go after you if they can somehow prove that you use significant resources? Like, cause it's different than, and okay, maybe it isn't, but my initial look at this is it's different than, okay, I read all these books and they inspired me. And yes, my work is incredibly derivative of, you know, this book that I read here, it's like, oh, it's like, it's like I just, you know, filed off the serial number on Lord of the Rings and created this fantasy epic, um, you know, with Borks and Belfs, you know, fight fighting, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, it's similar, it's different, but you know, I wouldn't credit Lord of the Rings in my story if it was very similar to that. Um, there right. people would have issues with it and they're, and that's a whole nother thing. But you know, if I'm so like how long before, you know, I want to write a story, I'm stuck and you know, I go to chat and I say, okay, you know, write me a story about, you know, X, Y, Z and it does it. And I take it and I edit it a fair bit, but you know, 90% of the work was produced by a computer program. Uh, do they have a copyright on that? Do they not? It, you know, it's free to use. So, um, yeah. So, and that's, and that's where I Well, it's open source. Open source is the big key. And if you like, I don't know how much you know about open source, but for anybody listening, like open source basically means that anybody can take the initial, uh, elements of, of a program and basically rewrite it however they wish with no worry about a copyright claim. So there are, 
lots of programs out there, l- l- big community. So say like uh, something like, I believe Linux is open source. Yeah. It's an operating system. And so you can take Linux and turn it into whatever you want to. And, and nobody is able to say, oh, that's not Linux. Uh, or nobody's able to say that Linux has a copyright on that because it's considered open source. So, yeah, I mean, I think the big question is that we don't, I think it's really hard to envision what that's going to look like in the future. Um, I think creativity is changing for better or for worse. I think with a lot of those kinds of questions that come up, I think it's a matter of perspective sometimes too. Um, You know, for example, so like, uh, you know, if you want it to write a script, you can't just say, write an action movie script. Yeah, no. Well, you could probably say write an action movie script, but it's going to be, you know, pretty limited. You do basically have to plant a seed of what you want this thing to write. And it will reflect you more, the more you put into it in in terms of what you ask it to do for you. Okay. So here's a question and sorry to interrupt, but, and this is something I've been wanting to ask you, and I don't know if you can answer this. So how much instruction can you give it? Can you say, I want a script, here's the basic story, these are the main characters, go? Or is it like you just have like one or two sentence prompt that you can give it? No, you can give it as much information as you want as far as I know. I mean, from what I have experimented with, but also with what I have seen other people do, you can put a lot of information in there. Okay. Um, You know, and I mean, you could say, I want a movie that's kind of like Star Wars, but instead of this, there's this. And instead of this, there's this. And you, you can basically give it as much information as you want. And, you know, so you can write something really, really simple. Uh, like write a romantic poem about badgers or you can give it a big like you know detailed outline of what you want and it'll write a romantic poem about badgers named mary and alan and yeah base it on the tropes of romeo and juliet and you know and yes exactly you could totally do that yeah but the problem is is it's probably going to spit out like i would think that if you tell it um what works better is to give it multiple examples. So not just Romeo and Juliet, Juliet, but more broadly, you could say that would reflect the works of Shakespeare. It's going to give you something a little more unique. Whereas if you give it something specific like Romeo and Juliet, it'll be very derivative of Romeo and Juliet because it's following the pattern of that plot. I know I heard somebody say, you know, how long before, you know, you combine these things and an AI creates a cgi movie where where it creates does creates a script creates all the art and produces a movie of course then my thought now as you were talking thinking oh crap michael bay is going to be out of a job if uh (laughs) if uh we can now Uh, easily do derivative stuff that has predictable outcomes well that that's his (laughs) that's his bread and butter well i think that I mean, I I think one of the ways to look at this is that that is inevitable. That'll totally happen. I I have no doubt that that'll happen at some point. Um, You know, it's kind of, I've heard a lot of comments, but I do kind of feel like it's fairly accurate that Idiocracy is slowly becoming a documentary. Mm. Um, That the movie Idiocracy is slowly becoming a documentary. But I think that as is humanity's habit, 
it's only going to really bother us when it happens. As long as we're talking about it in theory as a society, it's not really going to bother us all that much. We tend, you know, society tends to be far more reactive rather than proactive. So what it's going to take is it actually happening first, then we'll freak out about it, at which point it'll be too late anyway. (laughs) And I'm not trying to be bleak about that. I just, to me, I, I guess I view those things as we, we don't have as much control in any situation uh, in life as we think we do. Uh, doesn't matter how long you've been with your partner. They will still do unexpected things. Doesn't matter how well, you know, your kids, they'll do unexpected, crazy things. And those go from micro to macro. You know, you never know what a certain country is, how a certain country is going to react to a certain situation. We've seen plenty, plenty in the last three to five years of, you don't know really how people are going to react to extreme stress in situations on a societal level. Um, Because even though a similar situation may have happened before, they just won't respond the same way the second time around. So we're in some ways placing an expectation on artificial intelligence and the discussions around artificial intelligence on unreasonable expectations of having it in front of us instead of it. So we're, we're saying we want to be proactive about it when history has proven we're not really capable of that. So I came across a quote today from Isaac Asimov, which, you know, we're talking about predicting the future and, you know, these scientific tropes of, you know, of the fifties now becoming kind of our reality. Uh, this fits well, and I'm going to mangle this greatly, but the gist of the quote was, um, the speed of the science, the gaining of scientific knowledge far outpaces the speed of humans gaining wisdom. And <laughs> yeah, I like that makes me think of when, you know, when an AI does produce a movie or, you know, or, or script and, and it's used, you know, and, and, and will we even know, will we even know yeah. this? Like, you know, it's yeah. like we, for years, we've, we watched movies when we, people watch them and say, oh, that was really derivative. Oh, I knew what was going to happen five minutes into the film and, and we still watch it. Right. And it still makes yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, and people are making livings off of these things. So if a computer does it, um, will we even really know? Will we recognize it? Will it be someday that, you know, and the best picture this year is and the director goes up. Oh, well, thank you. It was great. You know, yeah, this was written by a computer. You all suck. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think, well, I mean, I could see the artists in the crowd being like, you know, this is terrible. But I guess ultimately the question is, will we really care if we're entertained by it? If it really is something that resonates with people, will we really be upset? And then I guess the question would be is if it's entertaining, if it is well-written, if it's something that's actually genuinely good and genuinely art, do we, how do we determine that? 
simply because it was written by a computer. Oh crap! You know what right? I just realized? Like, this is that? how Wally starts. <laughs> this is this is All the right. beginning well, of the I, end. <laughs> well, I think we should probably wrap our discussion up there. Uh, to close out, I'd like to share a uh, a poem with you, and it's going to be written right now. So, I am writing in write a sonnet about kung fu in the style of William Shakespeare. Enter. Do, 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 yeah, exactly. Do, 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 do. Here it goes. Okay, it's it's. So, and I I, I know it's not dead space exactly. It's just about finished here. It's got sonnets fourteen lines. So, okay, we're good. So it did that. I don't know how long that was, but. Um, and, and consider, upon the map, I was just saying, hmm? considering that sonnets are a very particular structure, like this, they're not simple to write because you got to get the, you no. know, was it iambic pentameter? You got a certain number of lines, you got a certain number of yep. beats per line. Okay, go on. This, yes, and exact, and there's actually some impressive rhyming in here. I have to say, upon the mat, two warriors do engage in battle fierce with lightning fast technique. Each strike and block with skill and strength and rage, a dance of grace and power, bold and unique. The swift exchange of blows, a symphony of fists and feet and elbows sharp and true. In every move, there is intensity as both the fighters seek to best their due. Like tigers in the wild, they strike and pounce their forms, a work of art a sight to see the discipline they've gained in each ounce of energy. So calm and yet so free in Kung Fu's school. The lesson they impart is peace through strength and wisdom in the heart. <laughs> That's better than a sonnet. I could have written about well, Kung Fu. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that's what I was going to say. Like, it's, it's better than I would do, but <laughs> But I mean, that's the thing, right? It's good. It's actually kind of moving. And it really, I mean, as somebody who like loves Kung Fu uh, movies and, and culture, I it's, it really, that last line about it being about peace and wisdom, totally accurate, right? So it's really impressive. Anyway, um, thanks for joining us today. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And, and uh, thanks, Mike, for today. That was a fun discussion. Yeah, it was good. Take care, man. Go yep. go chat up some stories. <laughs> we'll see y'all next week. <laughs> <laughs>